It's good to see you this morning. I'm glad you're here. You know, this is such a fun place to be on Sundays. We don't come here uh, with all these ties and weights and burdens of the law and religion and ritual. We come, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, because we enjoy the privilege of personal worship, personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And I hope that's what this is for you this morning. We want to talk about our place as those who are allowed to be in personal relationship with God. What is our place on the earth? And we're looking specifically at our place as light, as salt, as ones who help draw others to know God as personal Lord and Savior as well. And so our theme over the next several weeks is love God, love others. Last week we talked about the fact that loving God and loving others is the actimate, act, actual, ultimate act of worship. And when we do that, it means that we will be ready to share our faith with others. Obedience is the ultimate worship, is it not? We're going to look at that over and over again. Okay, let's just, let's get out of our stuffy, I'm the speaker and you're the audience routine, okay? So this is, this is me, this is you, church. And so if I say, is it or is it not, then it's okay for you to answer me, okay? You're not going to get arrested for speaking out of turn. There's no ushers that are going to dismiss you. As a matter of fact, the more you talk back to me, the more excited I get. And that makes a better sermon, I promise you. So, acts of obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ are the ultimate form of worship, are they not? Amen. Amen. All right, turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke 10, and we're going to talk about our neighbors. Who is your neighbor? Anyway. If we're supposed to love God with all our heart, soul, and strength, and then the second, which is like it, to love our neighbor as ourself, then it's pretty important to identify who these neighbors are in our life, isn't it? So let's look and see how does Jesus answer this question. We are put in this place, this earth, to be neighbors. Look at me now. That's why you're here. You've been left on this world after being saved forgiven of your sin with a very important mission with a very important job to do and it's called being neighbors to the rest of the world that's how we're salt and light now the question here verse 25 of Luke chapter 10 that a lawyer brings to Jesus was what shall I do to inherit eternal life and we talked about that's more that's a loaded question it's more than just how do I go to heaven what, what, what's what's the sum summation of the ways that we can please God. What's the whole story and picture about? And um, Jesus says to him, what's written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he puts the question back on the lawyer, the scribe, if you will. In verse 27, he answers and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus tells him, you answered rightly. Do this and you will live. We look back into other passage, passages to see this wasn't the first time this guy probably heard that. It wasn't the first time Jesus talked about it. So he got the answer right. But now he, he, he does something very interesting. He's starting to think, okay, if that's what the, the law is summed up as, if that's the way to please God, then, then he's, am I doing that? Like, how am I doing in that process? And he, he kind of makes the mistake that some of us make here. He begins to try to now pose the question back to Jesus in such a way to make himself look better than he is. He wants to reframe the discussion here. The, the Bible says in verse 29, 
But he wanted to justify himself. That's what it says. To Jesus. In other words, he wanted to show how he was already doing it. And who is my neighbor? So wanting to justify himself, he then asks this question, well then who, who is my neighbor? And uh, Jesus tells a parable. Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jer- Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, departed leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down the road. When they saw him, he passed on the other side. Likewise a Levite, when he arrived at that place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And so he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and sent him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave him to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come, I will repay you. Verse 36. So then Jesus now poses the question back to the lawyer. So which of these three do you think was the neighbor to him who fell among thieves? And the man said, He who showed mercy on him. And then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Jesus answers for all of us the question, who is our neighbor? Let's look at what the factors are that are involved in determining who your neighbor is, who my neighbor is. First of all, what are not the factors? Well, here he is on the road. This man had been uh, left clearly in need. And three men come by. The first one is a priest. So clearly, there are not religious factors. The priest, as a matter of fact, sees the guy in need and decides to walk on the other side of the road. In other words, there's no way I'm going to allow my sanctity, my holiness, my purity to be defiled by, one, he was a Samaritan, but two, he was bloody and dirty and hungry and messed up. He was filthy. And sometimes we think religion People need more religion. Religion is the answer. Religion is, is, is the solution for people that have needs. But it's interesting. Most of us as a church first wait for people to start looking like us to be worthy of our religion and our church before we actually accept them. That's Hey, listen. That's why many of us don't go out into the world with the gospel. We don't go out into our places where we live. We wait. We go all week long living religiously, doing our best to adhere to the laws and commandments of God. And then we come back to church and we sit in this room and we throw open the doors and we say, Come on, lost people, where are you? Let's go. We're here. Come get your lives cleaned up. Put your suit and tie on, your best clothes, and then come in. And then we have an answer for you. Then we have a solution for you. Those are not your neighbors. That's not even a factor. There's no social factors. Our neighbors are not those who are along the lines of some economic strata. Not even the ones that match your economic standing. They're not simply the ones that go to the same things that you like to go to. Well, I like the giants, and so my neighbors must be giant fans. Yeah, sorry, that's not it. That's not your neighbor. Matter of fact, Giants fan, no, I'm not going to say it. 
I'm not going to get too many Giants fans in the room. I don't want to start off that way. They're not very neighborly sometimes. It's not a factor. Those who are socially like me, those who, who walk in the same social circles than I do, the, the, my, my affinities are similar. I like being around them. I could easily build a relationship with them. They're my friends, my family, the ones that I naturally spend time with. Now listen, they could be your neighbor, but that's not a factor in determining who your neighbor is. We see that by the instance of the three men. The second one was a Levite, a keeper of the law, a preserver of the law. Listen, wherever and whenever we find neighbors of ours in need of Jesus Christ, it is not the law that will save them. It is not compliance to God's standards, His holy ways, that will save them. Do you remember what saved you, church? Have you been forgiven of your sin through Jesus Christ? Do you remember that you weren't necessarily in such a place as to meet all the commandments and the demands of the law before he allowed you to accept him? You were in a place where you recognized there's no possible way I can do what God wants me to do. I can't be good enough. The law shows me it's like a trap. It's like I'm in bondage to this, these righteous commandments that keep showing me that I cannot meet them. There's no possible way. Yet when we go to find our own neighbors to share the gospel with them, to sh- help them discover their need for Christ, we tend to look for the ones that have their lives all in order and understand and obey the commandments of God, don't we? L- let me just help you make sure this applies to you. In other words... Sometimes your neighbor may be the person who's right in the middle, right in the middle of their filthy sin. They're not, they don't have their acts together. They may not be cleaned up. Now they could be. Maybe they have their lives in order and cleaned up. Maybe they don't. But it's not a factor in determining who your neighbor is. So if we're only looking to those who seem worthy, the ones who, while they got it together, they understand they're doing what's right. They're not trapped and, 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 and drowning in their own sin. While well, they must be my neighbor, the one that I'm supposed to go to. Not necessarily. This guy was filthy, dirty, broken, in need. Probably you could argue the moment of his greatest need So it's not a social factor, it's not a religious factor, it's not a geographical factor. We think of neighbor as the one who lives in the home or homes in our geographic neighborhood sometimes, don't we? Well, that could be a neighbor for sure, but that's not a factor in determining your neighbor as Jesus answers the question, who is your neighbor? We know that because the two guys, even the third that came by, are not naturally in the same geographic home as the person who's been left half dead, right? This is the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. By the way, not really very far, only about a 15 to 16 mile journey. You could see Jericho from Jerusalem. But it's a well-traveled route, but it involves people and, and going back and forth from all different neighborhoods, all different geographic locations. Lots of people came to Jerusalem that didn't live in Jerusalem. Lots of people travel, traveled the economic route of commerce between the two. 
they weren't necessarily from the same home neighborhood. So it's not a factor that they have their lives together, that they look like us, that they fit into our churches, that they, that they have the laws of God all figured out. It's not a factor that they actually geographically live next to us. Then what are the factors in determining our neighbor? What are the factors? Well, Jesus tells us very clearly in his parable. I have three words for you to look at in verse 30. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who, watch this, stripped him. The first factor is being stripped. Being stripped. You know, um, there are people in your life. You know, you, you, it, may, it may be a long time since you have given this person second thought. And, and you sometimes even avoid talking to them at work or in that club that you're in or whatever it is. Because why? Because something in life has happened that they've made a mess or they've discovered a mess in life. And, and somewhere they've been, they've been stripped. They've been humiliated. They're embarrassed by something. Maybe their kid has done something wrong or, or, or they themselves have sinned and, and they've gotten in trouble with the law or, or something else. They, they lost their job and it was their own fault. Somewhere something embarrassing happened. They've been humiliated by the world. They've been stripped down bare naked. They're standing in this moment of vulnerability, bare before the world to say, I have nothing. I am nothing. I'm really not all that. Desperate need. That's your neighbor. That's your neighbor. He was stripped. No covering left to rely on. We stripped him of his clothing and then wounded him. The second word I want you to look at is wounded him. This carries with it the idea that the guy is literally hurting. And it doesn't mean that your neighbor has to be somebody who has been physically wounded. It might be physically sick or in pain. More likely, it's somebody who's hurting spiritually. Somebody who's aching, wounded, bleeding emotionally. Listen, I want to tell you something, church. Let me let you in on a little secret before we get too far in the sermon. Okay, I'm, I'm going to give you the answer the key before we get there, okay? Ready? The point here is this. They have a need. That's the point of locating your neighbor. The people, doesn't take long. People will discover their own sin nature hurts them. It doesn't even take necessarily circumstances of the world. It doesn't even take them being mistreated by the world or falling into the thieves. They find out that their own choices get them in the place of being hurt and wounded. Their own disobedience to God's laws, their own ignorance of a love relationship with God leads them to the place where they're hurting we're so quick sometimes as Christians to say, well, it serves you right. You shouldn't have lived that way. Shouldn't have made those choices. Shouldn't have that lifestyle. You see, those are the ones 
that are our very neighbors. Those are the ones, listen church, that God has put you in their lives for the very exclusive express purpose of being light and salt. That's, hey listen, that's why you're here. Who are those neighbors in your life that have been stripped, embarrassed, humiliated, no covering, vulnerable, hurting, brokenhearted, in pain? And then it says, wounded him and then departed, leaving him half dead. So he's been stripped, wounded, and left half dead. Listen, it doesn't really take very much insight. Stay with me to look around in the paths that you walk in to find somebody who's half dead. It really doesn't. Sometimes we can look in their eyes and see hopelessness. No hope. There's no hope without Christ. There is no purpose to life. There's no joy and meaning that lasts, that can sustain, except a personal, intimate relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's the only one. Everybody has that hole in their heart, and only Jesus can fill that hole. And everybody else is trying all kinds of different ways to stuff things in that hole, to make it fit, to make it work, to be happy. And they're miserable. And they find out there's no life. There's no fruit. There's no real lasting joy. Now listen, do you have to look very hard in your lives to find people like that? If if you have to struggle and look hard to find people like that, then you're probably reclusive. You're probably shutting the doors and locking yourself in. We're not called just to live in our little home, in our little circle, and isolate ourselves from those who are in desperate need, who don't look like us, who don't smell like us, who don't talk like us, who fail, who sin, who are filthy all around us. We don't isolate ourselves, and then just we have this little direct path, underground route between church and our home, and we try to have as little contact as possible with those people. Listen, those are the very ones that are your neighbors. They're the very ones that are in desperate need of a neighbor to come and bandage their wound, pour oil and wine to comfort them and to give them hope and life. Now listen, the only offer we have, guys, the only offer, if if I find somebody like that that's a neighbor of mine, I'll love them, I will care for them, I will, I will connect with them, encourage them, pray for them, but the only source of life that I know of, that I have to give to them, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to have to leave, and they can't rely on me to keep caring for them. They have to have their own relationship with Jesus Christ. They have to experience forgiveness and God's love and eternal life and the joy and the meaning and purpose and healing that comes from that. And so if we care for their wounds, if we feed the poor, if we, if we love and, and show preference to all others and we withhold from them the truth of the gospel, then we're really just playing games with them. That's what they need. Who is your neighbor? These are the people who have no relationship with God. And guess what, church? They look like people who have no relationship with God. They act like people who have no relationship with God. 
I want to tell you, when our youth ministry and our children's ministry starts reaching out and they start coming in and we make these changes that Pastor Ben is leading us to do and that John is leading us to do, and we start going out and reaching them and bringing them back into this inn, they're going to look different. They're going to act different. They're going to be wild. They're going to be ADD. They're going to be sin. They're going to be stinky. They're going to come from broken homes. And here's my question. Are we going to see them as our neighbor? Are we going to see them as an interruption to our perfect, pretty little worship service that we have going on? Who's your neighbor, church? Who's your neighbor? D.L. Moody, one of the most well-known evangelists of our heritage, tells a story to make this point. Sometimes we miss our neighbors. He went to Chicago to teach a conference on how to reach the masses with the gospel. He's very good and gifted at that, and so it wasn't too unusual to call him to be the keynote speaker. And this is a convention that had thousands upon thousands of churches, church leaders, and believers wanting to know how do we strategize to be able to reach the masses. And D.L. got there just a few hours early, and he went out on the street corner in front of the convention center, and he put up this little box, and he stood on it, and he just started reading the gospel from the scriptures and talking about God's love on the street corner. Before you know it, dozens upon dozens, hundreds of people just walking by, going to and from work, going to the restaurant, getting coffee, sinners came and gathered in the masses, and they just listened intently to what he had to say, and, and, and he, he shares the story that there are several that had such brokenness that looked at him as if he was the only person that had hope to offer in all the entire world, and they were hanging on his every word, and then he looked at his watch, and he noticed it was time to get into the convention center because he was the keynote speaker, and he said, excuse me, my beloved friends, now I have to go and teach the church how to reach the masses with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he left them all behind, wanting to know, how do I get saved? The point being, we don't need strategies. We don't need training. We just simply need to get into everyday life where people live and begin speaking the truth of the gospel. Using our mouth using our, our relational skills to talk to people and share with people what we have learned about the truth of Jesus Christ. I wonder if that's true in our church today. I wonder if that's what we're doing with our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday this week, Saturday this week. I wonder if that's why we're building relationships. I wonder if we're aware of all the neighbors around us in any given day who are beaten and wounded and half dead. Those are your neighbors, church. I have two statements that I want to make for you. You can fill in the blanks with me if you like on your outline card. These will help you this week. We're going to give you this little tic-tac-toe board. And hopefully you haven't filled it out with X's and O's or whatever else. And it's going to be a source, just a little tool to help every single one of us this week locate who our neighbors are. So that we can begin to focus on them, okay? Step one is we're just locating our neighbors. Who is your neighbor? Now, these two statements are going to help you. Are you ready? Write it down. Neighbors are not just people that live next door. Neighbors are not just people that live next door. They are the ones in your path where there is an open door. 
They're not just the ones that live next door. They're the ones in your pathways. Where are your pathways? Where's the road you're traveling on today? And where is there an open door for you to help somebody who's in need, who's broken, who needs the gospel? Does that make sense? Do you like this if it makes sense? Do you like this if, it, if you're lost? Okay, most of us are there. You'll catch it. Now, the second statement is right here. Watch this. Locating your neighbor is more about availability and opportunity than it is about proximity. Locating the neighbor in your life is more about availability and opportunity than it is proximity. It's not just the ones next to your house. It's not just the one in the cubicle next door to you at work. It's not just just those. It might involve those, but it's more about where is there availability and opportunity for me to give someone who needs the answer how to find peace. You see, when you begin looking for that door, that opportunity, that's how you begin locating the neighbors in your life. And it might be in your neighborhood, literally, or it might be somewhere down the road. It might be in another context of your life. Availability is a key factor. I, I just want to make this statement, church, okay? I don't know how important this is to you, church. Guys, I really don't, but I'm going to tell you something. This is how important it is to me. From this day for the rest of my life, I want to be consumed with passion for my own neighbors. It may not have been always the case in the past, but I want for the rest of my life to be used by God to bring the gospel to every single person in my life that is broken, stripped, half dead, wounded. Where's their door? Where's their opportunity? Where's their availability? Now watch this. That means that I'm going to have to make some choices in my life. I'm going to have to make myself available to find my neighbors. God has an enemy. His name is Satan. And he's pushing against the church and he doesn't want the church to do what God wants the church to do. Is that a surprise to you? No. You know what one of the greatest tools that Satan uses today to render you ineffective? Busyness. Chaos. Activity. We get involved in so many things. Do you realize, folks, just Holy Spirit show you right now in your heart how fast sometimes we're running to and fro and getting involved and plugging in here and just blowing by neighbors. Just, whoom, just like the priest, just like the Levite on the other side of the road because we don't have the time to stop. We're not even aware to stop and see their need because we're so busy. And we are unavailable. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ needs to make some changes, needs to make some choices to simplify our lifestyles so that we are most, most, most available to find those who are in great need in our lives and share the gospel with them. If we're not doing that, the rest is all nonsense. And we're just spinning our wheels, church. 
We're building buildings and programs and activity and all kinds of stuff, even at the church and blowing right by the neighbors that God has put in our life. And there are open doors left and right. Can you slow down and see them? Can you just make your life intentional? That I'm going to work. I'm going to baseball, football, wrestling, badminton, card games, the Veterans Club, PTO, PTA, PTL. I don't know what kind of PTs you have. Can you just begin to view those as opportunities that you need to make yourself available to find out who your neighbors are? Because they're there. Your neighbors and my neighbors. Now that's a little bit about who our neighbor is. What we really have to understand today is the lostness of our neighbors. So let's learn a little bit about lostness. Our neighbors are lost. That's what makes them neighbors, according to Jesus' parable. They're half dead on the side of the road. They need someone to come and share with them. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Luke chapter 14. Luke 14, and there's a little bit we can learn about lost people to help understand and reach our neighbors. Okay, church, are you with me? Right, we're learning to identify our neighbors, and now we're going to learn more about their lost state of being. Well, what are the lost? What does lost mean? It means, one, they're without forgiveness, right? Without forgiveness, without a personal relationship with Jesus. That's what it means to be lost. Don't try to define people's lostness by their behavior. Because listen, if I were to do that, I'd come alongside of some of y'all's lives and I'd look right into the way that you act and the way that you speak and gossip before church starts and I would say, well, you're lost too. Hello. We can't, we can't determine by behavior who's lost and who's not. They can't. We can't hold them up to standards to look like us. How do you know if people are without a relationship with Jesus Christ? Well, sometimes you have to ask. Sometimes you have to get to know them a little bit. Sometimes you have to stop long enough to say, you look like you're hurting. What's going on in your life? Why why are you hurting? How do you think you got there? What do you need? Sometimes it's caring enough to see somebody's lost state that will allow you to see it. It's all based on them not having a relationship with Jesus. Now, there's another parable here that gives us great insight. Jesus is is talking about uh, the invitation that he's put out for them to come. Um, You pick up with me in Luke 14, verse 16. He, He said, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come, for all things are now ready. Now, this parable has several layers of applications, but let's just see what it says about lost people. But there, with one accord, began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a piece of ground, and I must go and see it. If you please would ask for me to be excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to test them. I ask that you have me excused. Still another, I have married a wife, and therefore cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master, and the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city 
And bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it's done as you have commanded. And still there is room. And then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. What are the lost? They are those who have been invited to come sit and enjoy relationship with God. Who have not yet heard. They've not yet heard. They don't know. They're without a sense of purpose in their lives. Lost people are without a relationship with Jesus Christ. Therefore, they're without a sense of purpose. You can always tell when people are without a sense of purpose. Because they're hurting. And they look to all these places in life. The piece of ground that one bought. The the oxen. The new marriage and relationship. They're looking to their careers. They're looking to their investments. They're looking to to the places where they work for meaning and purpose. They're looking for their own relationships. Sometimes their own marriages for meaning and purpose. And they always come to that same conclusion that this does not satisfy the deep longing in my soul that only a relationship with Jesus Christ can provide. So where are the lost? That's what they are. Where are they? Well, this parable tells us they're not always right on the surface, are they? He says, some have come. Now he tells them, go out into, look at verse 22, the highways and the hedges. First of all, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. Highways and hedges, that would be like saying, go out to a hilltop drive. That'd be, that'd be like, go out to Main Street in your neighborhood, the, the, the freeway, I-5, 44, 299. Go out to where everybody's coming, wherever they're from in town. They're going to cross paths at these places. Go to those places to invite them. You know why Jesus said that? Because they're everywhere. They're all over. They're lost. Number two, they are the ones who accept and reject invitations. Lost people are ones who both accept and reject invitations to come. The reason I point that out is because sometimes uh, in my life, I get to the place where I want to share the gospel with a neighbor, and I'm only confident enough to share with, uh, with a person like John Salmon, who, you know, I think he's going to say yes. I think he might actually respond favorably to the invitation. One, he's a nice guy. Two, I know him real well, whatever the circumstances are. And so if we're not careful, we get to the place where we only see the lostness of those we think will accept the invitation. Hello. They're everywhere. They're ones who accept and reject. And finally, they are those who must be compelled. They must be compelled to come in. The master said to the servant, go out into the highways. That word highway is well-traveled road where everybody journeys. And then he says the hedges. Now, the word hedges here is an interesting word. It's actually a word that means fences, barriers. We put up hedges to put a barrier between me and the person's property next door so that they don't intrude on mine and I don't intrude 
on theirs. That's the actual meaning of this word. The highways of life are where everybody comes, where, where we all travel. The hedges of life are where there's divisions, where there's barriers. Lost people exist on the other side of the barriers in your life. The fences. I need some volunteers. Let's, let's do something fun here. I need about eight volunteers. Quickly, if you just come right up here, eight people. Uh, you got to come up the stairs, so make sure you're able to do that. Okay, got two. Come on. Need eight more. Let's go. Come on up. A couple ladies. We got, we got mostly guys coming up here. Do I have any ladies that will come volunteer? I won't embarrass you, I promise. Come on, ladies. Okay, I knew I'd get Danielle. Come on up. Okay, there we go. Okay, volunteers. Listen, you guys need to, now be careful because there's all these wires and, and trap. Matt tries to tr- trick me up here with all these traps. So, so I want you guys to disperse yourself in this neighborhood. We've got our fences up here. And so just kind of come up here, some behind fences. Just spread out on these four steps right here. Now be careful of the wires and instruments. I'll get charged a lot of money if you break one. So I don't want to do that. Okay, now you just, just disperse yourselves. Okay, now I need two more volunteers. Quickly, please. I need two volunteers. It's not, it's not that hard, guys. Come on up here, hon. There we go. Okay. Okay, good. Come on. Come on. There we go. We'll take three. Come on up here. Okay. You guys come right here, my three volunteers. You guys come right here. Okay? Now, face the, face, face the people in the neighborhood. Turn around. Okay, go ahead, Ken. All right. Now, these are your neighbors. You guys, you four have the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have everything they need for life, godliness, joy, purpose, meaning, and by the way, heaven as opposed to hell. Now, Ken, your paths in life are going to take you this way. Your paths in life are going to take you, that's just your job, your career, your, your, your social clubs, whatever, is going to take you that way. Your paths in life are going to take you through that journey, and sweetheart, your paths are going to take you that way. Now, go ahead and take your paths slowly in life, just your living life. Go ahead, walk in. You're living life, okay? You've got, you're getting, going to work, you got to go to the store, you got club something after, now stop right where you are. Now, church, just stay there, guys. Don't move on me now. Church, that's you. You are one of our four. Somewhere in your journey, in your life, there are stripped, humiliated, hurting, broken, half-dead people who have no hope. And you hold the answer. You have the light. You see how partway into your life, what you have to do is you have to look around. You have to begin to see they're lost, and where are my neighbors? They're, they're, you might have to beat the highways and the hedges a little bit. You might have to go in and flush them out. You might have to look, seek, ask questions. What if the purpose of your job, your career, was not to make a bunch of money so that you can have more time to yourself? What if the purpose of your job and your career was to locate people that need Jesus Christ? How would that change your life? How would that change your purpose? How would that change one day for you? One day. You see, they're all around you. You just can't go blasting through and knocking people over. you got to stop and, and reach out to a lost person, you four. Reach out to one. 
take their hand. Go ahead, reach out and take a hand. All right, look, what if, what if that was salvation? What if that was eternal life? You see how four people just multiplied the kingdom of God by double? That's what God wants you to do with your life. That's why he's given you neighbors. Listen, you're not helping me. Let me say it again. Now you just be still and be quiet. That's what God wants you to do, church. That's why you have neighbors. Okay, give our volunteers a hand, would you? Okay, come on. Be careful. Be careful. Those, those fences up there provide a wonderful illustration, don't they? Because there are people on the other side of fences in your life. And you have to walk around. You might have to go over. You might have to go under. Those, listen. Now, we had a little fun. I'm going to get serious on you. Those fences cannot stop you from seeing and caring about the lostness of your neighbors. The neighbor on the road to Jericho had compassion. He cared enough to stop. The servant cared enough to go out into the highways and the byways. There's four things that you need to compel people to come in. Four things you need to know. And we'll close with these. Quickly, here they are. You ready? Four things. Number one, number one, it's the whole reason Jesus died. Did you know that? The whole reason Jesus died is so that you can be saved. Amen? Amen. And guess what? This is hard for some of you. You're not the only one on the planet. He died for everybody else too. He didn't die for one, he died for all. And it's not the will of God that any should perish, but all should come to repentance through Jesus Christ. It's the very reason Jesus died. If you're living your life and you're not compelling others to come in, you're missing your purpose. You're, in a sense, saying, thank you, Jesus, for dying on my cross. I don't care that it was for everybody else. I got all I need. That's all I want. Listen to me carefully. Is that love? No. No, it's not. It's the only reason Jesus died. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. Number two, it's the reason you've been sent. You've been sent. John 17, 18 very quickly says this. Listen carefully. Jesus praying to the Father, as you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. Let me ask you a question. That's in John 16. You might know the context. Who's the them? Do like this. Come on, stick your hands up. Do like this. It's you. You're the them that he's praying for. And he's telling the Father, just as you sent me to seek and save that which is lost, I am now sending them to seek and save that which is lost. It's the reason Jesus died. It's the reason that you've been sent. It's also, number three, directly connected to following Jesus. How many here would say, I want to follow Jesus with my life? Careful now. If you do, go ahead. But be careful. Do you really want to follow Jesus with your life? How many? All right. He wants you to follow him. 
he asks you to follow him, right? Listen to 4.19, Matthew. Listen carefully. Jesus tells his first followers, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You want to follow Jesus. This is what he's doing. As he's leading you, he's making you to be a fisher of men. What do you think that means? That means you got to identify and locate the neighbors in your life that are in need of the gospel, and you got to go fishing. You got to go fishing. How many of you are fishermen? All right, fishermen, have you ever caught a fish in your living room? Have you ever caught a fish in the church worship center? You see my point? You got to go where the fish are and you got to put the bait out and you got to see who's biting and who's in need and who, who in your life is at the place where they might be willing to, to receive the answer. They're there. They're in the highways and the hedges of your life. Finally, the fourth point is this. There's a certain power that's available to you. I don't know how to share the gospel. I don't know how to lead somebody to Christ. I don't know how to tell somebody to get saved. Guess what? Join the club. None of us do. Except for the Holy Spirit. God has given us exactly what we need to be successful at being a fisher of men. Do you remember Acts 1, verse 8? The coming of the Holy Spirit. He said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall receive what? You shall receive power. The ability to do what you otherwise could never do. Ability, supernatural strength and insight and capabilities. All that coming from the Holy Spirit. You shall receive this power. Now look what it says next. You got it? You got the power? And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Did you see that? Folks, I'm not making this stuff up. I'm reading what the scriptures say. It says right here that the power came and he said, now when you receive this power, now go be witnesses. That's why you wait for the power because you can't be a witness without it. You can't lead somebody to the five and dime store, much less heaven, on your own. But the Holy Spirit empowers us. The Holy Spirit quickens. The Holy Spirit inspires. The Holy Spirit provides. You see, what you and I have to do is be available. The only difference between some of your neighbors going to hell for eternity and going to heaven is your availability. He's able. He's capable. Is he calling you? Is he trying to work in you? Is the Holy Spirit trying to reveal to you somebody's great need and you're too busy? You don't want to be uncomfortable. You don't want to have time to mess with it. Listen. I'm going to say it again. It is the reason you exist. And the question is, how am I doing at this? 
And I've got an idea you're like me. You get a little distracted sometimes. You forget that. And life becomes about so many other things. So everybody has this little tic-tac-toe board. I want to invite you to take that out. Would you, would you just, over the next six days, church, what we're going to try to do is how, how can the Holy Spirit show me who my neighbors are? Remember what we've learned. Go back to the scriptures, the passages. What are the factors? What are not the factors? What does it mean to be lost? Where do I find lost? And what, what four things do I need to remember to compel me? That I would compel them to come in. Put your name at the center box. You're, you're the center of your world. That's you. Now, this week... I'm begging you, church. It's not too much to ask, I promise you. I'm begging every single person, take some time and pray and fill in those blocks. Who, who's, who, where are the open doors? Remember, it's not about proximity. It's about availability and opportunity. It's not about who lives next door. It's about where's the open door. Where do you see people? beaten, stripped, and half dead. And begin to put their names in those boxes. Next week, we're going to talk about what to do next. This week, our assignment as a church is to slow down and identify our neighbors. Do it seriously. Take some time. Who are the neighbors in your life? If every single one of us fills in that chart... We have a whole lot of hurting, lost, beaten, broken people to pray for and to reach. Starting next week. Pray with me. If you bow your heads and pray with me, I'm just going to ask every single one of us to get before God alone in your heart. If you have never known and experienced the forgiveness of all your sin through Jesus Christ... His death, burial, and resurrection. If you've never reached out and accepted the free gift to be saved yourself, I'm going to invite you to do that right here, right now. Are you hurting? Are you lonely? Are you broken without anywhere to turn? Pray this prayer with me and accept a free gift. Father, I know that I, I am a sinner. And my own sin is my problem. I can't be good enough. So today, I choose to believe, Jesus, you died on the cross for my sins. And I turn from my sin and place my trust in you. That you would come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. I give you my life. And those are the rest of us. I'm just asking you to pray right now. How faithful have you been to share your faith? Maybe your prayer this morning is, Lord, I need to make some adjustments. I'm too busy. God, forgive me. There's this person in my life and they're so hurting and I've never even considered how 
to help them share the gospel. I, I don't even, I don't know. I've been too consumed with myself. Forgive me. Lord, I haven't even seen the purpose of my life over these last couple weeks. It's been something else. And this morning I return back to you. I want to be faithful to you, Lord. Would you show me this week, my neighbor? Lord, give me such a brokenness, compassion, that I will be compelled to move into their lives and do everything I can to get them to see you. Help me to care and see what you see. Help me to know your love as it passes through me and is expressed to somebody else. What is a church we want to be consumed this week? Before anything and everything. With those who are lost and without hope how we can help. Show us to use our resources, our life, what you've given us to bring glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, church. I want to invite our ushers to come forward at this time. We're just going to keep worshiping. How's that? Let's worship through giving. Take out your chat card. Now, you keep the tic-tac-toe cards for yourself. But if you'll take out your chat card and write your response to the Lord on that, we'll put those in the offering plate as they come by in just a moment. Part of your offering to the Lord. What response do you give him? What information can we help you with and pray for you? And then I also want to ask you just to be generous and faithful in tithes and offerings. We're doing wonderfully with our TC3 giving in our church. And thank you for your faithfulness. Praise God. Also for our regular ties, that God has given us so much and we give back a portion as an act of worship. John, would you lead us in prayer? Father, we thank you so much for this morning and we praise you and we, we worship you. Lord, I, I pray uh, and thank you for those protecting us, those uh, uh, the, on the police force and, and uh, those fighting for our country. I just pray that you protect them and, and uh, help those just all they're, they're going through, give them strength and, and the ability to be reached. And Lord, I, I pray, pray for Kathleen Long as she's serving overseas and uh, with missions. I pray uh, that you would give her strength and with translation, give, give her guidance and wisdom. And for all our uh, missionaries out there uh, serving and uh, getting your word out and to those who haven't heard. And Lord, we, we praise you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.